0: Uh, We'll make a bigger to-do about this tonight, but just want to thank the two of you, Uh, Nathaniel and Leanne. This is their last Sunday morning with us. They have taken a pastorate at School Valley, and it's been a fantastic several years together. So can you join me in thanking them? Tonight we want to pray over you and send you out but just wanted to acknowledge this morning what a wonderful job you've done. So thank you. Thank you, thank you Jim. You can be seated. Um, tonight, just as a reminder, we'll gather at 6 o'clock to eat, and uh, Nathaniel will be sharing a uh, devotional with us. There's a couple other things planned, and then we will um, end the evening by praying for them. So whether this is your first time you've been here for many, many years, I hope that you can join us. And uh, Enjoy the evening together before we jump in to the scriptures. I wanted to give a book away um, This is called crazy busy written by a guy named Kevin DeYoung. We actually gave a book away last week <clears throat> that he wrote it's the time of year when many of us begin running around like chickens with our heads cut off so if you're particularly concerned about your busyness and in the midst of that, busyness would be willing to read. Jeremy had his hand up first. Will he read it, we all wonder? <laughs> Seems like he, there are pictures. Yes, come on down, Jeremy. Now your mommy and daddy are seeing you take this, so you're going to read this. <laughs> awesome. Not right now. <laughs> um, there are several more of those available at the back at the book stall, I believe. Uh, if you would, turn with me to First John three, we are continuing our journey through this short, very merciful little book of First John uh, chapter three. In just a few minutes, we'll begin at verse uh, 11 but I'd like to try and set it up for you if I could. Uh, when you hear the word love, what comes to mind? When you hear the word love, what comes to mind? Is that? It was actually rhetorical. And the first thing I have on my list is I love pizza. <laughs> I love pizza. I love mom. I love my friends. I love new shoes. I love Thanksgiving, I love my country, I love work, I love not working, I love my kids, I love my grandparents, I love my lizard, I love ice cream and puppies and the sun devils, and I love God. This is all fairly confusing if you step back and really consider the way we use the word love. We say, I love pizza the same way we would say, I love mom. We say, I love new shoes the way we say, I love God. But hopefully we don't mean exactly the same thing. Love has come to mean not much, honestly. Perhaps we could define the common way we would talk about love as an affectionate feeling for something that's personally pleasurable. So anything that we feel is good for us, enjoyable, we tend to talk about that as love. We really need a new definition of love. We are love-confused people. Every day in Tempe, Arizona, women take off their clothes and give their bodies away with the hope of feeling loved. Every day, students in Barrett Honors College make themselves physically stressed and sick because they've learned that only really good performance at school will make their parents love them. Every day in Tempe, Arizona, widows and widowers sit alone and cry, believing their days of love are gone. People gather at the mosque or at the Newman Center, at the Hindu temple or the synagogue or the Mormon stake in search of something that seems loving. Every day in Tempe, Arizona, a man and a woman say for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, I love you forever, only to break those sacred vows years if not just months later. Every day in Tempe, children and youth are cruel to the nerdy and fat kids, so they'll be accepted and loved by the popular crowd. People overspend, overwork, overmedicate, and overeat all because they want love. Friends, a different spouse, another child, a better job, nicer clothes, another degree, a sexier girlfriend, it's not going to work. Deep, lasting, soul-healing love can't be found there. We need a better love. All of these lesser loves are meant only to reveal the infinitely better, the infinitely greater love that comes from God. There's many scriptures that would tell us that. One of them we'll look at today in 1 John 3. But before we look at that love, would you look at the screens and hear about this love from a few other passages? Ephesians 3 verse 14 says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory... The scriptures describe a love that can cause you to feel rooted and grounded in the stuff of everyday life. Wouldn't that be great? To not feel beat about by the circumstances of life. A love that is so much better that it surpasses even your ability to understand it. Now for some of us, that's not saying a lot. But for the rest, that's an amazing Love. Well, Romans 8, here's another passage, very famous, that talks about this love. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? To be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Past tense. Loved us. We'll get back to that. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, heights, nor depths anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. There is a love, the Bible says, that has no bounds. It is an everlasting love. It is a love of verifiable action. It is a love that never disappoints, never comes up short, never lies, never underdelivers. This love, of course, is not a human love. It's a supernatural love. It's the love from God. If you're here today and you're a Christian, would you imagine with me just for a few moments, what would your life be like if those two scriptures were just infused into every moment of every day? That that the defining characteristic for how you looked at every event in your life was the love of God. That would be a life rooted and grounded. That would be a life that no matter what the circumstance you would say, nothing will separate me from God. That would be an incredible life. Not a life without trial or hardship, but a life that's able to get through whatever would come. If you're here today and you're undecided about Jesus, welcome. We're thrilled that you're here. You're one of many in the room that are here every week. We believe the scriptures teach that God's love is readily available to you. It's a love not based on performance or good behavior or being a nice person. It's a love based on God's prior love for you, God's pursuit of you, God giving His Son and asking you then to simply trust Him, to give yourself over to His love. As a church, we're seeking to show you the reality of God's love and invite you to join us as we seek to grow in that love. The Bible often says that God is love, and it says that we are here, Christians, to love each other and to show others God's love. And that's what we're going to see in John 3 today. But before we do that, I'd like us to get a sense of just how often the Bible says this. If you're new to the scriptures, maybe you've never actually picked the Bible up and read it, it's very common to be told that the Bible is nothing more than an outdated, stale, old book of rules. And it's true there's a lot of rules in there, but there's a lot of other things too. In fact, there's a lot about love. And I went through and pulled some verses on love and would just like to quote some of them to you. We won't look them all up. That would take us the rest of the day. Here are just a few of them, and I quote. For you are called to freedom, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. It's in Galatians. Let all that you do be done in love, 1 Corinthians. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, in Ephesians. Rather, speak the truth in love. We're to grow up in every way into him who's the head, into Christ. Ephesians again. Another from Ephesians. Walk in love as Christ Jesus loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Also in Ephesians. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, of the same love, in full accordance and with one mind. Philippians. Above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Colossians. The aim of our charge is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. 1 Timothy. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example, in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. 1 Timothy. So train up the younger women to love their husbands and their children. Titus 2. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Hebrews. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere and brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. First Peter 1. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. First Peter. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins, First Peter. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. We'll get to that in a few weeks. It's from 1 John 4. For God so loved us, we ought to love each other. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. Wow, so much love. The Bible from cover to cover is the story of a God of love. And it's the call for us to love God. John Newton, the 18th century slave trader who was rescued from his sin by a God of love, said that... The peculiar and imitable mark of true Christianity is love. Now, all of us have a history with love, don't we? Some of us are exhausted from the endless efforts of people pleasing, trying to earn their love. Some of us don't know who our dads or a dad is, let alone have we ever heard him say, I love you. Some of us thought we knew love until the spouse that we pledged ourselves to left. Some of us have been in churches that were more like fight clubs than gatherings around the worship and love of God. What we need more than anything else is to experience, not just hear about, not just read, but come to very real encounters with the love of God. I'm absolutely convinced that there is no force for transformation, for reconciliation, for justice and mercy, for goodness in the world, like a saving knowledge of God's dimensionless love. That's what we're here to talk about today. So let me pray for us, and then we'll read 1 John 3. Father, we are people longing for love. We may be macho and never use that word, or we may throw it around as one of the most common words in our vocabulary. We may look for it from a father who's not there or from a man who won't be there in the morning, or in a boyfriend or girlfriend or at school, or in how we look, what we drive. It may have took all we could muster simply to come here today. But what's common to all of us is we long to be people who are loved. That's part of what it means to be human. Father, the world sells us a bright, flashy, sexy message that doesn't work And that message is if we make life about us in the pursuit of our own pleasure, that's where we'll find love. And your scriptures don't say something just slightly different. They say something that's hostile and completely opposed to that message. That message is we can only know love if we'll die to ourselves and experience the love of God, and then love each other. Would you supernaturally illuminate that truth for us as we read your word today? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 1 John verse, chapter 3, verse 11. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning. Meaning Jesus told you this over and over and over and over and over again. That we should love each other. We should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's were righteous. We're not going to have time to go back through that story today. But if you don't know what he's talking about... Read Genesis, the very first book in the Bible. It doesn't take long before things begin to fall apart. Brothers have been fighting forever. Verse 13. Don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. meaning only, but indeed in deed and truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before Him. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commands and do what's pleasing to Him. And this is His commandment, Notice singular, one commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He commanded us. In other words, believing in God and loving Christians are one and the same. You can't love Christians without believing in God, and you can't believe in God without... Loving Christians. Whoever keeps, verse 24, his commands abides in him and he in them. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. There is much we could talk about here. But for clarity's sake, I just want to talk about John's main point, his dominant idea, which is this. Since Jesus Christ loved us by dying a sacrificial death, We're also to love each other sacrificially. When you trim it all away, that's what John's saying. Since Jesus Christ loved us by dying a sacrificial death, we are to love each other sacrificially. I'd like to get at that by asking three what questions this morning. First, what is this love that John's talking about? Second, what makes this love so special? because he's clearly claiming it's completely different than any other love. And third, what does this love call us to? So for the rest of our time together, we're going to try and answer those three questions. What is this love? What makes this love special? And what does this love call us to? First, what is this love? Well, John defines it quite simply in verse 16. By this we know love. So those of you in the room who love math, picture equal signs right there. That he lay down his life for us. Friends, the love of God is defined simply as Jesus laying down his life for us. Love is first and foremost not a warm, fuzzy feeling. Although it is that. But it's more. First and foremost, it's action, it's commitment. It is a feeling love, but it's rooted not in our circumstances, but in the steady rock of Scripture, which tells us that Jesus died and rose again. This love comes from God, and it starts with God. Earlier we said our modern concept of love is personal pleasure, but God defines love as sacrificial action for the good of others. God says love. What is love? Love is sacrificial action for the good of others. It's a heartfelt commitment to the good of others over and against what might seem initially initially good for me. This course of action is seen ultimately in the loving death of Jesus. Jesus died so that we could know love. That brings us quickly to our second what, and no, they won't all be that fast. This second love is what makes this love so special. Well, look at that verse 16 again. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, for our brothers and sisters in Christ. John, it seems at first blush a bit arrogant. John seems to claim to have the definition of love. But he doesn't just declare what love is. He says we can literally experience it. The New Testament was originally written in Greek and there are multiple different words for know in Greek. One of them means to know something by knowledge, by head knowledge, to, to know it by reading it. Another kind of knowledge is to know it by experience. To come to know something through practically facing it, taking it in, and then coming to grips with it in all of your being. There's other words for know, but those are two of the most common. This word for know is that second one. It's to know it by experience. By this we have come to experience the love of God. John says that there's a love so grand, so masterful, so all-encompassing, that when you come face to face with it, your life is transformed from the inside out. But what, what makes God's sacrificial love demonstrated in the death of Jesus the definition of love? Why is that what love is? Why is that love so special? Well, I think more than anybody else on the face of the planet, I hate lists in sermons, but I'm going to give you some. I want to give you five reasons that the death of Jesus is the expression of love. Five reasons that John perhaps had in mind when he said, that's what love is. And maybe it would help us to come to grips with what he's saying. Why is Jesus' death the ultimate expression of love? Number one, it's because Jesus had absolutely no personal reason to die. The scriptures tell us that the wage or the, the thing you earn with your sin is death. But Jesus didn't have any. Jesus was the only person who's ever lived that lived in constant, complete, total, utter submission to and union with the Father and the Spirit. Therefore, because of that, he lived a perfect life. He was humanity as humanity is supposed to be. God first loving people second, and yet he died. He was the only one who didn't deserve it, and yet it happened to him. That makes his death the ultimate expression of love. Number two, no one forced him to do it. Jesus' death on the cross is the ultimate example of love because he willingly gave himself up. There was no mixed motive in him. I think everything good I've ever done has been tainted by some form of selfishness. But Jesus was not that way. Sometimes people talk about the murder of Jesus, but I'm not sure that's quite right. Because no one took his life from him. He gave it up for us. The Bible is clear. Jesus knew what was coming. He knew how things would end. And he willingly gave it up. That's love. That's Love. Number three, Jesus had known fellowship with the Father for all eternity and He willingly yielded that connection. That perhaps is what Jesus felt the most in His death and we can identify with the least. Jesus, for as long as there had been, forever, had only known sweet, complete 24 hours a day, seven days a week, fellowship, love, enjoyment, communion with the Father and the Spirit. And at the cross, the greatest sacrifice was not the physical torture He endured. It was the spiritual separation that came as a result of taking on the sin of humanity. So the greatest act of love ever committed was Jesus willingly giving up His perfect fellowship with the Father and the Spirit so that you and I could gain it. It wasn't the physical pain that rocked Him to tears and anguish. It was the spiritual pain of separation from God. Number four, Jesus' death was free, meaning people in no way earn or deserve it. It was 100% unearned. It's simply dispensed in love. That's the reason maybe that I found the most gripping this week as I worked on this. All week I thought about why is Jesus' death the ultimate expression of love? Surely other people have done good things, right? Other people have made substantial sacrifices, some of whom say there is no God. Correct? There are people who don't love God, who in fact hate Him, who do things that we would say is loving every day. So I don't readily just accept it because it says it. I've got to figure out why. Why does it say that? Why is that the ultimate expression of love? And perhaps what has gripped me the most this week is because when you compare God, so the giver, the one who gave up his life, the one who initiated this love and gives it freely, the only way it makes sense that that is the greatest form of love there is is if you compare it to who he gave it up for. We're not God and us. We're infinitely different. The expanse is tremendous. It's not God and Chuck, although some days I'd like to think it is. It's God and a broken, sinful humanity. Paul makes that exact comparison in Romans chapter 5. For While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. No one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might dare die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, in other words, nothing good, nothing worthy of it, nothing that could possibly earn, The love of God. While we were in the middle of spitting on Him, He died for us. Verse 9, Since, therefore, we have now been justified by His blood, how much more will we be saved from the wrath of God? For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through Jesus Christ, through whom we have received Reconciliation. The comparison between Christ and us could not be more clear and more stark. Jesus' death was the ultimate expression of love because we in no way earn it and did not deserve it, but he did it anyway. That's amazing love, is it not? And there's, of course, many more reasons, but here's a, a final one. We would never have loved him had Jesus not loved us first. We were so intertwined, Christians, in our sin with anti-love that apart from God, we would reject even his love displayed at the cross. Charles Spurgeon, who I often quote, put it like this. Jesus Christ well knew that if he did lay down his life, he would get no love in return for those for whom he died, unless he himself created that love. Now just compare that to the love between a husband and a wife. Uh, ladies that are married in here, you sometimes willingly, sacrificially, even joyfully give love towards your husband who is not reciprocating that love. Now, if he's here, don't go like this. Right? That's part of marriage is yielding love towards someone even if you may not feel a lot of love in that moment, even if it's not being reciprocated. Why do you do that? Well, partly because you said you would. Partly because you've made a commitment to love that person until death do you part. partly because you're hoping that by giving love, eventually you will receive love, right? Yes. (laughs) Jesus, on the other hand, gave full love, knowing he would get none in return, none. It's like a spouse who for all of eternity is dispensing love, 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 and only getting back selfishness, arrogance, disregard, cruelty, and hate. That's God's love. Spurgeon went on to say, But our Lord Jesus knew that he was dying for stony-hearted monsters whose return for his love, if left to themselves, would be that they would utterly reject him. They would not believe in him. They would trust in their own righteousness rather than in his. They would try to find a way to heaven by sacraments and ceremonies rather than by faith in the meritorious sacrifice which he made when he laid down his life for sinners. That is incredible love. So our third what? What does this love call us to? Well, if I could put it in a sentence, it's this. God's love for us places us into a new family. That family is called the church. And that love then calls us out of selfish autonomy into sacrificial familial service. It beckons us to care for and regard each other as brothers and sisters. Not because we've in any way earned it or because we're particularly lovely people, but because there's others who have come to experience that same love and that love has put us into the same family. And for as long as we live, our lives are about displaying and showing love to each other in such a way that the world around us is then invited in to see and experience that love for themselves. Christianity was launched on the bedrock of love and will forever expand where there's love between Christians spilling out into the world. If you follow the story of the explosive growth of Christianity, if you've ever studied it, which you don't have to go far. There's a book in the Bible about it. It's called Acts. It's the story of how Christianity spread from a handful of people to all over the ancient world. Just read it sometime. One of the stories you'll come across is the story of a city called Antioch. There was tremendous ethical and social diversity in Antioch. Many ancient cities had walls built around them. Perhaps you've seen pictures or traveled to some of them. Why did they do that? Why did they put walls around their city? To protect the people in from the people out. But Antioch and some other ancient cities had walls on the inside. Why? Antioch had walls on the inside to protect and separate the ethnic groups from each other. So the Syrians lived here and the Jews there and the Africans here and the Greeks And Acts chapter 11, if you read it closely, reveals that the gospel didn't care about those walls, that Christ came through the preached gospel from people who we don't even know their names. It doesn't even tell us. It just says people who believed. It says that those people who believed came and they preached the gospel across those walls and the church was formed that Jews and Greeks both believed, that people came to Christ across the walls, that love flowed freely. Antioch was the very first place where people were called Christians. Why? Nobody really knows, but perhaps it's because no word existed for what they saw happening. The ancient world knew nothing of a love that could tear down the walls within the city. But Christianity came. And as Jew and African and Syrian and Greek began to care for each other, began to love each other, began to do very practical things like share their coats and share their food and open their homes and quit being hostile to each other, As they did that, people began to say, we have no word for that. What is that? Who are they? They must be Christians, Christians. Friends, that's love. Look around you. This room is no less diverse. Just like Antioch, being loved by God means we're now invited into a family to love each other. So in the spirit of my former list, I want to give you one more. I want to end today with five, since that's the number of the day, five practical steps to encourage you to love each other. So if this love is real, if it's not just the stuff of a book, if it's not just a fairy tale, if it's not just what happened a long time ago, but the love of God displayed at the cross can... Change your heart of stone into someone that's a loving person. Increasingly more loving. If you've met the love of God in Christ, then how is it that we should go about loving each other? How do we love people whose phones continually ring? (laughs) Here are five steps. First, and I'm sure this is the first one on your list: become a member of this church family. Those of you that are Christians, you come from other parts of the country. Membership may have been nothing more than walking the aisle of a church, saying, "Yes, I believe in Jesus and signing a card. That's like membership at L.A. Fitness. Sign your card, pay your dues, and we don't care if you ever come again. In fact, it's better if you don't. That's not membership. The Scriptures call us, brothers and sisters, to not just believe in God, but to love each other. In fact, it says you can't separate the two. And so what you and I need as Christians, more than anything else, is to make a commitment to a particular group of people who we will open our lives to and make a commitment towards. Now, if you can't do that here, that's okay. But it's not okay for you not to do it anywhere. God calls you to that kind of life. Membership is the commitment and the protection that God provides for you. If you've not yet done that, Go to a leader today before you leave and say, I want to know how. Number two, and this flows from the first, get heavily involved in an intentionally intrusive community. Doesn't that sound marvelous? (laughs) We need people who don't mind saying to us, I love you and I wonder if that was stupid. (laughs) I love you And I'm praying for you. I love you and that's not okay. I love you and I need help. We desperately need that. In an intentionally intrusive community, we get to see the love of God continually on display because we'll mess up and we'll say, I'm sorry, and we'll forgive, and we'll say... Wow, only God can do that in us. And then we'll get back together again and we'll do it again. Over and over and over until Christ is fully formed in us. We do that here through calling all of us to be disciple-makers, to no matter where we are, to be living as a family, to be discipling each other, to join a GC to serve in a ministry, to speak the gospel to each other. Church is not merely an event you go to once a week. It's a family you join. It's a lifestyle you take on. It's a commitment to live out the love of Christ because He's loved you first. Number three, exalt Jesus by promoting unity in that family. We are in a particularly unique moment as a church essentially everything feels like it's changing multiple staff members are leaving we're about to start a new year and in this new year the leadership team has said we're going to bring before you a proposal to change our bylaws and ask you to affirm having elders and deacons and deaconesses and some of us think that's funny for some reason we're we're getting new chairs And they're not all blue. (laughs) We're going to bring before you in a few weeks at our members meeting a a budget and ask you to prayerfully consider it and affirm it. And it's going to suggest changes that are pretty big. We ask you to gather in homes and to open your home to people that don't know Jesus. There's a lot of change. I asked the staff this week, how many of you in the room like change and how many of you don't like change? And guess what the majority said? We don't like change. (laughs) And they're the mostly the jerks that are making all the change happen because they're leaving. (laughs) If there's ever a time that we need to love each other, be patient with each other, ask good questions, assume the best, stop and say, I I don't want to hear that. I don't think that's true. If there's ever a time to do that, it's now. God's done great things in us and next year, Lord willing, will be even better. But it won't be if we're infected with the poison of disunity. Number four, out of the overflow of God's love in you, give and and serve expecting nothing in return. The two great commodities of our day are time and money. It seems we never have enough of either one. And yet, The way God says you're going to continually be reaffirmed and experience my love afresh and anew is if you're extending that love to others. So go where it hurts. Give up your time and give up some money for the good of God's people. And do it with joy. uh, A former small group that I used to lead, every year the guys would go on a ski trip together because we want to give time and money sacrificially. (laughs) And this weird thing happens when you get guys away out of town. These things start working and they talk. It's bizarre. So we gather around the table after skiing all day and before you know it, people are like sharing stuff that you would never, ever, ever have heard anywhere else. And... One of the guys began talking about um, what he does to try and get his wife to have sex with her, with him. And he said, I think I've told you this story before. Uh, He said, when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I think is, what can I do today so my wife will have sex with me? And wives, that's what all of your husbands are thinking. (laughs) But this guy said... The thing that does it the most is laundry. So I go first thing and check the hamper. And if there's laundry in it, then I go put it in the hamper. And my wife just loves it when I do laundry. Now, um, I found that extremely amusing, but also found it repugnant because that's not love that's actually not him loving his wife. That's just sex. And you can have just sex if you want, but sex with love is a lot better. Spoken from one who's going home to check the hamper. So... That's not love. It's actually manipulation. And friends, we manipulate each other constantly. I'm going to say this because I hope she'll say that. I'm going to go to this group because I hope somebody will notice me. I'm going to serve in this ministry so this thing will happen. I'm going to very piously put my money in the plate so the person taking it will notice. We do this all the time. But that's not love. Love gives simply because God first loved. And finally, number five, I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, to pray together. There is nothing like simply gathering with another Christian or multiple Christians and going before our Heavenly Father who loves us with an infinite love And expressing adoration and praise and thanks to him. And bringing our needs, each other's needs, before him. And then together saying, God, whatever you want, we will submit to. Some of the most incredibly loving moments I've ever had have been doing that with people. So those things I've spoken to those of you in the room who are believers. If you're here today and you're not yet a Christian, there is a love readily available to you that's unlike anything else you will ever experience. This love simply asks you to recognize that you've not loved God, that you've loved yourself instead. And to believe that Jesus came and died and rose again as an act of love. And if you will turn from that sin and say, God, I want to live for you instead... Would you be my Lord? Then that love will change you. It will give you new life. It will invite you into this new family and start a process that is better than anything else you could ever imagine. So our hope is today before you leave that you would pray a prayer to God that would express that to Him. And then don't keep that to yourself. It's not a private decision. It's something that changes everything about you and gives you a new new family. So go to somebody around you if you know them or find one of us here at the front who are leaders. We'd love to hear about it. And those of you that are believers, would you commit to reaffirming the love that God has for you by committing to love each other this week? Let me pray for you. Father, your love is incredible. We have no words for it. And more than anything, more than bigger buildings or more money or more people, we want to be known as a church of love. Not the fuzzy sentimental garbage that we think of as love, but real love. Love that's displayed in the death of Christ and then in his people who have died with Christ. Would you convict us today that we might repent, find your forgiveness, and walk in your love? It's in Jesus' name we pray.